being all in or being committed to yourself, it's like work worth doing. And that's how I think about a lot of my um, struggles or my, you know, you, what do you want as a person? You want to be free. You want to, you want to be connected. At least that's what I want. And, and so it's work worth doing. It, it, it's always, you know, you peel off a layer of that onion and you got another layer, but <laughs> that's why we're here. And I just think I want to find, um, remember, like I sometimes have to remind myself to find the joy in the process, not try to pass that test. I'm Julie Clare, and this is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel. Artists and creative professionals thrive in unconventionality. They reinvent themselves and find their way through impossible situations. Here, we get to have deep dive conversations on their adventures. Let's jump in. Today, my guest is Sarah Bush. Sarah Bush is a mixed media and installation artist living in Taos, New Mexico, having recently moved here from New York. She has an MFA in fiber and surface design from the Memphis College of Art and was a professional designer for over 20 years, creating and developing home decor and personal accessories that were sold to major department stores, fashion retail chains, um, upscale boutiques all around the country. She's given talks at South by Southwest on the creative process, coached artists and designers around the country, and is now a full-time artist living with her husband and cat in Taos, New Mexico. Welcome in, Sarah. Hi, thank you for having me. Ah, you're welcome. Uh, first off, I think it's very fun that I found and I met you and I kind of fell for your work by looking at the Taos Studio Tour information and just Googling you. And, you know, we're only an hour away from each other. That also means I get to come and actually see the works in person. So I get to meet you in some ways in this call today. So welcome in. Thanks. <laughs> I want to start in by talking a little bit about who you were as a designer and now who you are as an artist without getting too, too heady. But what is it like to leave your, you have all 20 years of experience doing all this design work and now you're a full-time artist living, having moved to New Mexico. So what is it like to switch from design to full-time art? Well, Fine art, yeah. um, I feel like design gives you a lot of discipline, which I really appreciate and carry with me all the time. And um, and it taught me a lot about creative problem solving, which I also really appreciate. Sometimes um, when you design for a long time or create products, like, you know, I did things for myself, I worked for other companies, um, is you can be a little bit of a chameleon, which I probably am a little bit by nature, but it's sort of like you're very customer focused. So it's like, show me what you want and I'll give it to you. <laughs> like, what do you like? And show me that. And, you know, that's my job to try to deliver, you know, and then certainly when you work, you have a look for your, even if you have your own line and then you work for another company and, and you have that line, but there is a lot of um, kind of figuring out trends and figuring out what people are, or what companies might be looking for and, and delivering on that. And so sometimes it can take a little while to find your own voice after doing that for a long time and to kind of let go of that knee jerk um, trend following or, um, you know, it becomes kind of second nature. And 
and it's always moving. So, you know, they call it newness. You know, you're always trying to create newness. That's one. I just read that word on some other website I was on. I was like, oh yes, newness. That's like a, a design world word. <laughs> so I love hearing about the chameleon nature. So yeah, tell tell me more about um this shift. Yeah. So it's really like um, you know, so I, I feel like so coming from a design background, you really learn a lot about branding, for instance. And and the art world to me draw the contemporary art world draws a lot on the on the fashion world ideas. You know, they do want you to be branded. They do want you to be one thing. And and I feel like in general, people who don't know you can can hold, sort of hold one thought about you. <laughs> and then when they know you, they can hold more thoughts about you. And so um, my interest in many different materials, you know, as a mixed media artist, I really don't know what it's like to just want to paint for like, you know, 20 years or something. And uh, so my love of materials, my love of combining materials, exploring a particular idea kind of flies in the face of, of good branding logic or branding um, ideas, you know, like what's, what's, what's accepted about and smart about being, about branding yourself. So I, you know, I kind of tried to, I tried to conform to that for a while. And then I just hit a point where I thought I'm going to have to make this work the way I am and, um, and allow myself to do this thing. Cause as you know, you get older and then you just realize, you know, time is finite and I want to see if I can do it on my own terms, I guess. And so now I am, I embrace that it is, I feel like there's a lot of threads through my work that um, are consistent, but I will change materials to a big degree. I don't just combine materials in the same way. I might explore things in metal for a while. I may then. um, Yeah. Let's talk about that. Your mixed media life, because part of what draws me to you, honestly, is that wide range of what you're doing. Uh, Seriously, your pieces look very different depending on, you know, the installations to the paintings, to the print, print making the, I mean, there's, you know, the wheel making. There is. So what is it about? So now it sounds like you really get to pursue, you really get to, like you said in one of your writings, but be materials driven. You don't have to be consistent, right? You don't have to have one body of work where all, you know, 30 pieces, uh, will we'll say, this is Sarah Bush, the, the instant you see them. I, I see there's a little freedom in there. And I, I, I enjoy talking with people who take that freedom, who, who find, a way, find a way to enjoy themselves in all the ways that they are. So tell me about this, these materials that you love to work with. What, what drives your, when you get up in the morning, what gets your interest in going into the studio? Um, I, I usually have, yeah. um, gosh, you know, it's kind of a mixture. So like, and I will do a whole bunch of work. Like I've done a lot of work in metal and a lot of people only know me for that. And I would say even the people who love the work on metal, they tend to maybe not love <laughs> the work. You know, I'm going to do a whole series of black and graphite pieces coming up based on a couple few that I've done. And um, the people who respond to that might respond less to the really colorful metal pieces. And all those things are a part of me. Um so for instance, so for instance, right now I'm I have pressed probably thousands of Queen Anne's lace flowers. And um I've got them stored in these tubs. And I started off making a couple pieces, kind of exploring that idea because the Queen Anne's lace pressed to me looks very 
um, fragile. I think it, it expresses a lot of emotion and I wanted to use it like, like a mark making tool. I wanted to see how big I could go with that. You know, like the, sometimes in the traditional, like that could be counting as a traditional women's art, you know, the pressed flower thing. And mm-hmm. I, I wanted to take it somewhere else and, and see if I could make it bigger and see if I could express larger feelings or emotions or even dare I say, you know, ideas through the, you know, using them as a, a major medium. So I'll get that thought in my head and then I'll explore that for a while or in the metal, the reflective quality of the metal. Um, that really interests me. In fact, reflection ends up or metallicness often ends up sneaking into a lot of my work somehow. And, um, but something about it where I'll feel like the materials are helping me say something that I want to say. And, and then I will get in that back and forth with them where, you know, you have an idea and you, it's all perfect in your head or it's an emerging idea. And then you start to execute it. And then the materials start to lead you as well. And maybe not exactly where you thought you were going to go. And do you, how, how important is it to you what it looks like at the end, how much, how process oriented are you? How is it as important the process as the result, or are you really, really trying to achieve something? You know? I would say how they look at the end is extremely important to me. Um, yeah. I, I do. I try to honor the process and respect, like listen to the work in front of me and respect yeah. that journey. Um, but I really for me, the best feeling in the world is when I look at an artwork and I think that's so resolved. That piece is so resolved. And I feel great about that. <laughs> mm. And when something isn't resolved, it nags at me. You know, the idea of resolved, and I see some of in your artist statement, you talked about liking or well, exploring the conscious and the unconscious. Yeah. And you have that um, kind of comparison to dream work uh, by Carl Jung, that quote, what was that you said? Uh, that dreams are a way to integrate your conscious and unconscious lives. And that's exactly how you view your artwork. So resolved and exploring, letting this conscious and unconscious come out. How would you relate those? Um, for me, it's like, you don't always know what, what you're really thinking about or, or trying to achieve or where you're trying to go. Like, like you feel driven or I feel driven to um, create something. And that, that listening part that I just mentioned is that kind of that unconscious, what am I trying to do? And that I can, if I listen, I can allow my unconscious side to, also deliver its message, help me understand. Like, I want this to be um, a cathartic experience for myself. Like, I want to create something for the viewer and I want to have a conversation with the viewer through my work, but I also am trying to give myself something. And that part of um, kind of that exploration that happens as you're working maybe helps me understand myself a little more or helps me understand something that I'm wrestling with or, you know, some things I feel like, oh, I'll like, 
I'll wrestle with that for a long time, like these apparent dichotomies between like fragility and strength or time as an arrow kind of and timelessness. And, you know, I, I feel like, well, I, I got the rest of my life to explore that. And I'm interested in that. Like that interests me that fragility and strength can be in the same thing or, or almost be the same thing, you know, like a wildflower can look so fragile and they can be so rugged. And that aspect of, you know, that, that constant in life about fragility and strength just fascinates me. And so as I explore it and find ways of expressing that, you know, I don't know, it gives you some sort of weird positive <laughs> experience or, you know, drives me forward. I hear it. I hear it. I hear the pull. I also um, know that events in your life have been takeoff points for your artwork, yes, right? That's the, true. Yeah. So I, I, I love the richness and fullness of what you speak. So the outer and the inner of these opposites, um, you know, fragility and strength, for instance, and going after that. So in the mood of this that we're talking, okay. I also read that, I don't know when exactly this was, but that art also played a role in you, um, well, that you were doing art as your mom had Alzheimer's and that there was this sense of fragility. And yeah. I don't know about strength, but what, what was that like to have, was it, would you say, were you working through dealing with the Alzheimer's or it was going on at the same time? So it was part of that unconscious that was showing up in your pieces or how did that come together, that event and your art making or that long period of time? I yeah, guess, it was a long making. time, probably seven or eight years. Yeah. Um, for me, it was, so my mother had Alzheimer's and my mother was a very talented artist with a lot of skills. And when I would go see my mom, I, you know, I'm her arty daughter. So I would try to bring a sketchbook or something and try to do that type of activity with her. And we were sitting together once and I was, I gave my mom the sketchbook and she was trying to draw and she really couldn't. And I thought, you know, my mother had a really hard time honoring her skills. And, and I thought, my God, you know, she's never properly honored her own skills and now they're gone. And that just felt really wrong to me. Like, like something against life. Like you're, you're not supposed to denigrate yourself. You're not supposed to self-deprecate to this point, like always finding what's wrong with what you're doing. And my mother was mm -hmm. a very harsh critic of herself and, and was so, so very talented. And then, you know, it's almost, it felt disrespectful of your, of your, of what you've been given or what you have in your life to, to be so critical or disregard it and then because it, it could be gone like like when it was gone and I thought wow it just hit me very hard and and it made me realize that I, I I need to not make that same mistake and I need to respect my own particular skills and commit to them and commit to myself and not apologize to the world or myself about where I am or what I'm doing about it and try to make the best work that I can and 
and embrace it and and really feel like it's an opportunity for me and not a test I'm trying to pass. Boy, that's so beautiful. Um, how early on in your art making life was that jewel of wisdom landing? Well, I feel like, you know, I, I went to, you know, I have my MFA and I've made art and then you try to make a living. And so you, you know, like for many of us, that's a circuitous path. And um, so that's why I started to design. I had a jewelry line and then I had a stationary line, my husband and I. And then, you know, I used to sell to museum stores and things like that. And then I worked for other people. So, the, and the more you sort of exercise your creative muscle at work, I found that, you know, maybe I made less personal work, but you're always making it to some degree. And it was more like, um, I guess in that time where my mom's Alzheimer's was happening, I was really carving out a lot more time for my own work. And it kind of gave it a greater urgency for me to do that. Does that make sense? It sure does. Urgency. And do, do you remember needing to make art as a kid? You know, we, to, I made or? art all the time. You know, my mom was an artist. So we, we did a lot of taking art classes and making art. I, my father was also a football coach. And so I came from a very sporty family and athletic family. And, and, and there was some real gifts in that. And I probably wish it was a little less <laughs> sporty uh, with that emphasis, but also like sports gave me uh, some important lessons that I always carried through all my art making and my design jobs that I value and that um, just show up for me over and over and over again, but always, you know, making things. Were you, were you drawing? Were you, uh, what was that like as a kid? Was it, do you'd like to make things up or was it? Um... Yeah. You know, I used to, you know, we would like, we were always drawing and coloring and making, I think I, I like three-dimensional things often and uh, a little more. And I also wrote a lot. So I, I, used, I used to write these very dramatic poems when I was young. <laughs> and um, I remember my fourth grade teacher published them and I had to, I passed them out. And then I drew on the cover and, you know, things like that. So I would almost feel like in a way that writing and, and visual creativity were always, when it, were kind of interwoven for me or, or almost equal really in my life. I hear it. And also the mixed media, right? That it wasn't just one thing. Yep. The writing, the visuals, uh, there is always, there's something coming together. Did you show your mom any of the stuff when she had Alzheimer's, what you were doing or? Yeah, I did. I, I was in a show at the, I had done a bunch of large pieces about the weather and, <laughs> and then I was, I forget what I was looking at, but there was a call for artwork about the weather. And I was like, well, that's weird. I happen to have a lot of artwork about the weather. Um, how odd. I'll, and so it was in Norman, Oklahoma. It was actually at like the National Weather Center. They had this wow. first biennial, they called it. And I had two large pieces in that show and they made a catalog. And, and to be honest, I was, I was a little nervous showing my mom. And we, um, but I showed her and we talked about it and we you know, to whatever degree she could, you know, after a while with your Alzheimer's, you know, people tend to lose their ability to speak. Yeah. So it was, it was a complicated healing for me, I would say, her, her go, experiencing her Alzheimer's and, and supporting her through that with my siblings. 
Yeah. Um, and when you went to school, you did get your MFA. I'm just trying to get a sense of you as a young person. Did was your under was your undergraduate um, in art, or did you? You know, my undergraduate degree was in English. I did a, a lot of art on the side, but and yeah, and um, I felt a little pushed away from majoring in art as an undergrad by my mother, so I didn't. And I yeah. uh, and so once I graduated, I was actually looking at grad schools in like American studies and things like that. And I thought, and I, and, and I, I remember consciously thinking, this is what I really want to do. And, it, and back then it was a book, you know, it wasn't the internet. And I flipped this book up to the art section and, um, and I had been doing a lot of work in textiles and well, not a lot, but some, and there was a program for a degree program for that. And that's really what I wanted to do. And, and that was a very freeing kind of decision for me to go and pursue that. Wow. Did you get much pushback on that once you decided? Yeah, a little. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Like, um, it's a bold move. That's a bold move. Yeah. Right? And how to make, I mean, how's this going to make you a living, right? How do you do this? Uh, yeah. And my mom's you, sort, sort of, of skepticism for herself extended to us in that particular way about the arts. I felt like she had kind of, and not to criticize my mom, I, I love her very much. Um, but she kind of put herself in a box of, uh, you know, only a, a real artist sells their work. One was one of her axioms. And then her second one was, you can't sell your work. <laughs> no one can sell their work. All right. Well, so when did that, when did it become obvious that you could? Well, that's been, that was kind of an on, a really ongoing evolution, you know? So I would sell, you know, like that's why I created a jewelry line. And, and when I was young, I felt like I often put things in front of my work like that, like, um, I would try to do some, I, you know, so when I was in grad school, I made friends with an undergrad and she and I created a clothing line. Like she had been making these neat bags and then we became friends and her mom had worked in a store. So she kind of understood the wholesale thing. So we designed a clothing line together and I printed all the fabric and she sewed it and we uh, priced it all wrong. You know, we, we sold to boutique, you know, kind of mid-price boutiques where we should have gone super high-end because everything was hand-done and yep. priced at wholesale. But that kind of took me down that path of creating products, which I also genuinely enjoyed. Um, but it was like, because of a lack of a faith in, in selling the work per se, I would try to be more logical about it, I guess, and, and try to um, sell things I thought people would buy. You know, so that that thing led me down that path. And then I created a jewelry line and then and then I created um, stationery line. And then, you know, I helped I worked at places where we created a gift line. I've gone to India and worked with factories. And um, it's so in a way, like always selling stuff and always having angst about it at the same time. It's a funny thing. And it's a funny thing. And a lot of us know that. I'd love that you named it that well. Yeah, it's like, a, um, it's like, a, 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 like to yeah. me, it's a healing process selling your work, really. Like, it's almost like a spiritual path for me, like to, to have um, honor that and um, enjoy it. Like, I love selling my work. Even my husband doesn't, you know, he would be like, you want to sell that? I'm like, yeah, I like making room for me to create more work 
it creates space when I sell the work. I like that I make something that means so much to someone they want to own it. And um, I want to make things that I hope that someone never tires of owning, you know, all that stuff. But I love it when my, I, they're like my kids and they, I love it when I find them. You know, it's like, I feel like there's some work I sent to college. There's some work I, that's gotten a PhD, you know, and they can't just sit in the basement playing video games. They got to go out there and get a job. <laughs> All right. So there is, there is this relationship to the public, the world. And I, you could say it came in very handy or it was cultivated by being a designer and really being aware of needing to sell. I think a lot of us have had that experience when we need to sell something or uh, when we're in the art world, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, yeah. creative. So I, so it's, 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 it's fun though, to hear you talk about your joy in your pieces going public. Not everybody has that or selling. Yeah. Right? So what does this have to do with this, what feels like joie de vivre or something about this. Can you talk about the voting project that you did? Um, how that came about? Because that to me is really going, Hey, I started with artwork and I'm going to bring this into the public sphere in a different way. Sure. Um, yeah. What was that? What, what can you tell us about that? So I'm a pretty political person, really um, progressive kind of politics. And um, in fact, when I was an, an undergrad, I was like, I was extremely political and did a lot of activism and, um, you know, worked in small groups where we ran by consensus and uh, we did protesting and, um, and I've attended a lot of marches in my life and uh, things I believe in. And um, so I created this, like in 2009, I worked for a company where I was designing all these products were almost like craft projects where I would design them so people could make them. And we went under in 2009 with that, with the crash. And um, maybe a year or two later, I made this piece that I called Old Glory. That was, I felt like the US was a little tattered and um, and it was a flag based piece that I guess someone could find on my, on my website. It's kind of hard to describe, but I, mm -hmm. um, I had it hanging in my house and, and my older sister, she always loved that piece. And, and then in 2016, you know, I was not someone who was happy with the results of the, that election and very concerned about um, the rule of law and the continued existence of the rule of law. And in 2018, I was living, actually, technically I was, John, my husband and I were living in New Jersey, but right outside of Manhattan. And I was in Manhattan all the time. And, um, my old sister called me up and she said, you know, the midterm elections were happening. And she said, you should make that your peace, old glory. You should make that up a, a vote poster. And I thought, and she said, you should say, please vote. And I said, well, I'm not going to say, please, <laughs> I'll say vote. And, um, and I'll do it if you help me because I had done enough kind of political activism that I knew what a project it was going to be. And it was, we only had about six to eight weeks. Like maybe when she first mentioned to me, it was like eight weeks. So then I was taking this, took a photo of that piece. And then I, um, I'm, I work a lot in Photoshop. And so I was trying to, I worked with it to figure out how to turn it into a graphic. I mean, it's, it was, the original is pretty graphic on its own, but it's a gray, very muted gray on cream. And I was looking to make it a graphic 
that would really stand out. So I made a bunch of iterations of that and I'd, I'd right. show her, I'd show my husband, I'd show my friends. And then uh, we finally worked out, a, um, you know, and I thought, okay, this works. And then I thought, I need this, what size do I want this poster to be? And I thought, I need it to fit on a telephone pole. Like someone should be able to staple it to a telephone pole. So that, because I've done a lot of that in my life. So, um, you know, maybe in my younger years, but still it's gotta be eye level and almost like a guerrilla art kind of thing. And um, so that dictated its size. And then I had a friend at a, a big print shop in Manhattan. So I got, I got some pricing from him. We looked online for pricing. I realized, you know, I think it's going to be easier if I can just get it from him and he'll print me a hundred at a time, maybe four, you know, he'll change it. And I didn't know if anyone was going to hang this poster up. And um, so I made the poster and, and I'm trying to sort of reel my sister in on this whole process of the researching, like, but it's a little bit of a mystery tour. And then um, I, we get the posters, we split them up. And I start reaching out on Facebook to my old activism friends too. Like I got this whole poster. I want to do this campaign where um, I'll give them away for free. And I, because I like, it's so important to me how it looks like the paper was really nice because I just couldn't have it on crappy paper. And I didn't want to send a digital version out. I wanted it to be physical. That was really important to me. So I reached out to a couple of friends saying, I'm going to give the 10 of them to anyone who promises me they will hang them in the public space. And so I'm like, can you ask around? So I had them asking some other folks and then I'm, they were giving me feedback like, yeah, yeah, I got people who would hang them. And then one of my friends said, you should create some sort of accountability thing. Like um, ask people to take a picture of where they did it. And she was, she was in roller derby in Maine. And she said, we did a, a different type of thing where we ask people to take a picture and that really works. And then you can post it on social media. So I said, okay. So then I, I just put it out there. I, I made a post saying, if you will um, hang 10, I'll get, I'll, I'll mail them to you for free. Like I thought this is my investment. Like I, I'll, uh, how I'm spending. Right. My money. Get it. I get it. Yeah. So then people all over the place started saying yes. So then I, we, and my sister was doing the exact same thing. So then, um, and calling people. And it was such a, um, an exciting, positive experience for me because I'm getting texts of images, like people I don't know, you know, like somebody's daughter in college in Tennessee sent me, some, you know, I'm like, oh my God, what is happening here? And, and, and in Manhattan, when I would hang them up, I just, I was having such great New York experiences with it where people were being really supportive in a very New York-y way. And um, it felt like, it was like the first chance for the people who were a little appalled to have a, a chance to express themselves um, in the 2018 election and people were really on it. And, um, and these photos were just pouring in and I just loved it. And, and I don't know, I think we got people in like 24, 25 states to hang them in a really short amount of time. I thought it was so fun. The video you have on your website about it, um, just it, it it felt so organic and so fun. I wanted to talk to you about that because I think sometimes we're like, what can we do with our artwork? And what I heard you do there is your sister had an idea. You took a step, another step. You knew somebody, they knew somebody. You put it out. You knew you needed the good paper, yeah. right? So again, you were, you were following what felt good to you and you were also listening to other people. So it's an interesting way of having your, to me, your artwork include other people and having it kind of, 
become more than artwork in your studio. Um, it got out in the world in a way. And, and I hear the desire for you to have your artwork be seen and be public. Uh, yeah, it felt like a lot I of loved us, that. It felt like this giant yeah. collaboration. That was so fun to me. And I'm often and trying how, to collaborate. And, and that does, people are more reluctant than you think. And artists are more reluctant than you think. What, what have other collaborations that you've done since then? Has it, has it come through at all? Because I think you had the candle project or what else? Yeah, so my light a candle for democracy, then I did it again in 2020 where I thought I need to do something yeah. new and I wanted to create an installation. And I had this idea of creating a space where you could come in and light a candle for democracy. And in that process, I thought, what can I do with these vote posters this time? Because I still had some. And, um, and I had also made a silk screen, kind of larger silk screen, sort of, sort of a higher end print. Yeah. Um, that... I also wanted to sell and I was thinking that summer before. So that's another thing where I have partially an idea and I'm, and I'm thinking like in the spring, I had the idea for light a candle and democracy for democracy or even the winter really, because it was, excuse me, it was before COVID and there's a big uh, fall installation thing that used to happen or probably will happen again here in Taos called the Paseo project. And so I was thinking, oh, maybe I can I can apply for that and, and have an installation in that. And there'll be a ton of people walking around and then they can walk in and I will and they can light a candle and I can have these prints and the original piece in there and make an altar. And and then the COVID hit. And then I thought, well, that's not going to happen. And then. Um, so then in the summer, I started to think maybe I could still do an installation somewhere in town and maybe I need to do something with these posters. And that's when I thought, well, maybe this time, because you can't do the same thing twice. And I always think it's a mistake to try to do the same thing twice. Like the momentum is different. So I thought I'll donate all the profit to Stacey Abrams and her organization because I was a huge fan of hers. And I thought, I don't know how many people are that aware of her, but um, I'll donate to that. And and then I'll donate the um, prints as well. So I made those videos as a part of my promotion, like giving people something to stand on. Like, this is what I did before. Now I'm doing this, you know, buy a poster. It's all going to go to fighting voter suppression. And that's what Stacey Abrams was works on. And um, yeah. Yeah. So then that's, that's what I, and then in that process, and I'm thinking, then I'm hunting around for a spot in Taos to hang to, uh, and I, I applied to the Paseo project and they couldn't help me. And then they gave me some advice. And then I reached out to a gallery in town, uh, the Revolt Gallery and uh, Steve McFarland. He was super receptive. And uh, he had a small installation kind of gallery at the very front of his property. So I thought oh, people could see it. I could light it. And then, um, you know, I would talk again. I talked to my close friends. And one of my friends was like, you should, you should do something, you know, I, like global. <laughs> like, okay. Mm. What would that be like? Oh my God. So then I started to develop that idea of like, oh, I'll make an event right before um right before the election. And then that took on its own thing. Then I'm trying to make a landing page, all these things that I'm really, you know, stretching me hard and um trying to get the word out in time and um put again I created a landing page and then I created a group on on Facebook and then a bunch of, you know, really middle-aged women drove that forward. And I had a lot of people signing up to participate and I was just pushing hard to get as many, that was my thing I was doing as many people as possible. 
to participate. And one thing I'll just say is that like people don't always from the outside, they can't see all the work that you're doing. Like mm-hmm. people be like, what are you doing? I'm yeah. like, I'm doing this. What else are you doing? Like this, <laughs> this is what I'm doing. This is taking every second of time and also all my attention and energy to make all this uh, come together. And so sometimes I think when people are thinking, oh, maybe it's just easy for that person and uh, not easy for me. No, it's really hard for me. And, you know, <laughs> but it was exciting to see that evolve. And then we actually had a ton of technical difficulties, which was a little on that night, which was a little heartbreaking yeah. for me. And so I had to, you know, I dealt with that. And, um, but still it all happened. And a lot of people, you know, wrote me some very moving things and they all, and I asked everyone to light a candle who was participating and I asked them as many people as possible to share it on social media. And it's beautiful. Um, and you raised money for the fair fight with Stacey Abrams. Right. You sent it. That's right. And did you, and you heard back from them? You know, did I they didn't. Say? And I didn't really think that I would, you know, I just yeah. think people sometimes don't realize also how, how crazy, how much it was doing. exciting yeah. to me that like, that I nailed it with Stacey Abrams because Stacey Abrams and fair fight in Georgia ended up being you know, pretty, pretty, pretty big deal. Yes. yes. Uh, I was patting myself. <laughs> wow. on the back about that. <laughs> and what I, I like that you, I, I also like and honor that you speak to how much focus it takes to put these things together, because sometimes I have that part of my brain that says, well, what did you do this week? And I'm like, well, let's see. <laughs> you pulled together a workshop with 10 women. You did X amount of podcasts. You did, you know, your client work. You did your, like, this all takes focus. It's like, it's all coming from somewhere. That's it's right. not a, so I, I like how you speak and I can hear your energy and what, where are you now? What is it you've had, you know, you work by yourself in your studio, you work collaboratively, you've done these, some installations, yeah. uh, and where, what do you, what's calling you now? And in particular, maybe in terms of voice or what's, what's coming to you that wants to be expressed or what are you noticing? What's, what's, what's up for you now? You know, it's kind of funny. I felt like I, I crashed and burned a little bit in the winter and uh, yeah. I was, you know, so strange. Like the first eight months of COVID, I was actually insanely busy. And then, um, which I know is, was unusual. And it, I just lucked out like that. And then um, in January and February, I kind of got into the doldrums really about the COVID isolation. And, um, and also I think I had just been go, go, going about what I was working on and needed to rest. And even, even trying to acknowledge the need to rest isn't that easy in our culture, I think, and regroup. And then in the, I'm also an avid gardener and and gardening here in the Southwest is really challenging. And uh, so in the spring, I was really pouring my energy into fixing a lot of things about my soil. And, um, and I'm, you know, that I really like the physical aspect of being outside in that way. And, and it feels very, there's a lot of overlap creating in the garden and creating one's art. And, um, and that always, throughout my life, like that'll grab me in the spring where it's like, I drop everything. And, you know, you're almost like on a deadline with that kind of gardening. Like you're going to hit a point where you just can't keep playing it. You know, you, well, now I just got to maintain. Yeah. And um, so now I'm kind of turning my attention to this next body of work that with the Queen Anne's Lace and the Black, and I've got another body of work that I had started 
um, in the past, after both my parents passed that um, I really want to develop and hopefully create a, a whole show around called Worship Your Ancestors. And um, kind of feeling my way on, into how another installation could happen. Uh, I don't have any direct plan for that right now. Um, it's almost like I like this bounce between my physical art making and the installation doing. And last year was a mm -hmm. lot of installation doing. I did an installation with another artist friend here in Taos, uh, Tony Schuler, and she and I collaborated in a, it was a wonderful experience. And um, that was a few months of intense working on an installation and, and learning a lot before I even did the Light a Kindle for Democracy. So I'm kind of, you know, open, open to see. I hear it. And what's your, you know, moving to New Mexico, was that spurred by your artist wanting to be here in this space to create? Was it uh, more practical or? So it's sort of funny because know? that was actually spurred by my husband's desire not to live in a city anymore. And um, uh -huh. I thought, oh, huh. Well, I can't live in the middle of nowhere and I can't. I needed there to be an art community and where we lived was extremely diverse. And so I really liked that and I didn't want to leave that behind. And I feel like in a lot of rural parts of this country aren't very diverse. So I, I kind of waited a while to see if that feeling lasted with him and it seemed to. So I started and I wasn't going to go this. He still wanted that when my parents were. Uh, my mom hadn't died yet, and um, I wasn't going to go anywhere until she had passed away. And then I started looking in earnest. And in my late 20s, after I graduated from um, grad school, I lived in the mountains outside of Albuquerque, and I had loved it. And it was really, I considered it to be the best place I'd ever lived. So I said to my husband, well, what if we try New Mexico? Because there's an art scene. I go, let's try Let's look at Santa Fe. Let's look at Taos. Yeah, exactly. Let's, That's why I asked. Yeah, yeah. So I can have that and you can have more peace and quiet. And, <laughs> and um, so he was excited and we came out to Santa Fe and he was like, oh, I, don't, I don't really like it. I don't think. And I was like, well, you're going to love Taos. I know you are. And we drove up there and he did. And um, we found a place and it's been an evolution kind of moving all our, he, he works on and restores vintage British motorcycles. So we both had our, our, our things and our tools and that we had to move across the country. I think if we had known how, how big of a, a project that alone was, I don't know if we would have done it, but sometimes that's what helps you, you know, ignorance helps you move forward. <laughs> It is. And, you know, it's, it's not just one thing, right? Moving and transplanting. It's difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. In surprising ways, but here you are. And what do you sense uh, might be possible for you to express or to be in your artwork that may not have been available before? Because your parents have passed, you're living here, you've got this quieter place, you've got this desire to collaborate, but also do your own stuff. What, what part of you is it is it connected with a fragility? Is it connected with, with voice at all? What, what, hmm. what do you, what, what might be accessible now that wasn't accessible or wanting to come through? Well, I would say that my own kind of spiritual journey deepens and deepens over time. And, um, and when you, when you asked that question, I, I was thinking how, when you, when you move to New Mexico, you know, the light is very, um, 
powerful and a different experience from the East Coast. And a lot of people who come here are, are plein air painters and um, super impacted by the landscape. And, you know, I'm not a plein air painter and I was thinking, I wonder how it's going to impact me here. But I tend to make, I feel like in the physical work I make, there's a real objectness to it. They, they feel like things, mm -hmm. not like depictions of things. I rarely have something behind glass. And um, they, I, it's like I end up making objects, even when they're on the wall, they feel like an mm -hmm. object more than a depiction of something. And so I feel like the way I feel connected is maybe through the retablos and this, um, I, you know, I'm a big folk art fan in general and uh, tribal art fan and medieval art fan and um, kind of this handmade, unique, sometimes crudely made things. I really respond to them. And um, so I feel like uh, the sort of spiritual side of New Mexico feels like the thing that's impacting my work or, or where that's going to uh, creep in as an influence in addition to my other, you know, as part of like the, the shape. Of I get the piece it. Or, yeah. Yeah. I get it. I'm, I'm with you. It's definitely affected me <laughs> <laughs> being here. The, and would you say this, this, you have really followed through on the sense of how important it is to stand true with yourself, with your experience, um, with your mother and maybe how hard she was on herself about her artwork. Are you feeling good about how you're supporting yourself and being with yourself and how you pursue your projects? I mean, as we, we only have a couple of minutes yeah, here, I'm just you know, I, how does that feel? It's a funny thing. I feel like um, always trying to deepen my commitment to myself and my work. I think as a woman, it's really easy to, you know, we get a lot of strong messaging about deepening our commitment to others and everything outside of us. And um, so it's almost like having strategies. Like I, 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 over the course of my life, I've developed strategies to keep my critical voice at arm's length. Like, don't go there, don't go there. Like, you know, it's almost like you can indulge it. It almost can be um, comfortingly familiar, <laughs> the, the critical voice or the, and that's the thing I keep at bay. Like, sure. I just don't, I, it's just so important to me. I don't want to die and feel like I didn't just, I wasn't all in. I just want to be all in on my life. And so when I do doubt, and I think everyone always does, or most of us, I just mm -hmm. try to re bring myself back to that and anchor myself and tell me like myself, you know, it's being all in or being committed to yourself. It's like work worth doing. And that's how I think about a lot of my um, struggles or my, you know, you, what do you want as a person? You want to be free. You want to, you want to be connected. At least that's what I want. And, and so it's work worth doing. It, it, it's always, you know, you peel off a layer of that onion and you got another layer, but <laughs> that's why we're here. And I just think I want to find, um, remember, like I sometimes have to remind myself to find the joy in the process, not try to pass that test. You know, you want to make something good. And so sometimes it gets complicated. You know, you're trying to make the best thing you can. And um, it's easy to get mixed up along the way about that. 
making something you think someone will like or making something that will get approval from the outside world and and trying to really listen to yourself and and have faith in that and that itself is um sometimes challenging and totally worth the struggle you know i hear it and that's a beautiful way to, I think, conclude today. I think when you over and over saying it's a work worth doing, and I hear you talking about that really as voice. Oh, interesting. You know, not to be, um, you know, too mesmerized by the thoughts of how others are going to receive our work and, and finding that freedom and connection. But there's, it's multi, there's a lot of different input going on at all times. Um, yeah. Like when we censor ourselves, but- it's just so deadly so deadly um so we're i'm gonna watch out for your work i'm gonna come see it uh we're gonna say tell other people to come see it on your is it sarah bush artwork artworks yeah sarah bush artworks plural and sarah with an h yeah sarah bush artworks.com and uh and we'll put new mexicans listening you know they can come visit me during the tau studio tour and i'm also going to start opening up my studio to the public beautiful and we're going to put all this on the liner notes so i'm going to make sure that um thank you all that goes in so people can contact you very easily sarah bush thank you for talking with me like oh thank you julia it was a pleasure well that's today's podcast of creative at the wheel before we go i want to invite you to check out my ongoing friday online gathering the creative cure for anxious times where for 75 minutes each Friday, we follow our intuition and play with pen, paper, paint, whatever creative materials you have on hand as a way of coming back into alignment with life in the moment. It's very healing and a whole lot of fun. You can also learn more about my one-on-one coaching with creatives, both on my website, paintbiglivebig.com.